Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, depending on when you are listening to this podcast. Also, depending on where, because time zones and all that. Welcome to Node Up number 102. We're going to be talking about version 6.0.0 of Node.js. Node v6 is an amazing release, and the absolutely most amazing thing about it is that the four people on the program today, including me, would all be listed in the same order, whether you ordered us alphabetically by first name or last name. So let's do this. First, Anna Henningsen, recently minted collaborator on the project who has done some amazing work over the past few months. Anna, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm a math student from Germany. Like you said, I haven't really been around for too long, two months or so. So yeah, that's me. Welcome to the show. Next, we have James Snell. James. James Snell. I'm IBM's technical lead for Node.js. I'm on the CTC and TSC and I'm also the release manager for version 6. So. After James, in alphabetical order would be me, Rich Trot, but I am the host and therefore a mere footnote. Like a tortilla chip is merely a substrate to deliver salsa to your tongue. I am merely here to provide a vehicle for the goodness of people like our last guest, Rod Vag. Rod, who are you anyway, really? <laughs> I, I don't even know how to answer that, Rich. It's just too eloquent for me to, to follow that up. I, I'm Rod Vag. I work with NodeSource. I'm on the CTC and TSC. And, and I'm not Rich Trot. Today's show is sponsored by And Yet and DigitalOcean. So we have an outline for each show where we all agree on a rough list of topics and order in which we will talk about them. And I'm going to go off script immediately to go back to Anna to talk about how she got involved in the project. Anna, do you want to explain how you got involved? Sure. I was working on a project using Node.js and through some convoluted stuff, I got the order of the arguments to set timeout wrong in a non-obvious way. And the process just threw an exception after the timeout would have expired. And I think that should have been handled better. So I patched Note and wrote a PR and got through with it. And ever since you've been fixing all our Zlib compression library problems and all sorts of great stuff. So welcome to the show. Let's talk about v6. So compared to the you know, 0.12 to 4.0 change or the 4.0 to 5.0 change, it's, it's kind of a yawn as far as breaking changes go. It's almost as if there better be an open SSL security release soon or something so that we can stay busy making a 6.0.1 release or something like that. So let's talk about the things that don't break in this release and what has gone so smoothly and why. I think a lot of this has got to do with our new processes for releasing changes. So there was a lot of activity during version 5. We had a lot of new features added. If you go back through the change log, log for version 5, look at every Semver minor bump. There was a lot of changes that went into there. So when we got to version 6, there wasn't that much extra stuff to add. It was just to increment and when we could put in some of the things that we held off as breaking changes. Overall, the team is pretty conservative with breaking changes. And I think that there, there is a bit of a fear that some people have that bumping Semver major gives us an excuse to do all sorts of breakage. But in practice, we're a conservative bunch with regard to breaking people's stuff. And we're only you know, breaking things that you know, really need it because they're bad APIs or we have to change something to make it more consistent or whatever. So it's, it's been fairly smooth. And the other thing is, V8 
has been good to us this time for the first time ever. You can recompile your native add-ons if you're using the latest version of NAN and you don't have to change. People, well, native add-on authors don't have to change anything. It's the first time we've ever done that with an, a major node upgrade. And I think that largely comes from the V8 team working closer with the node team and Google becoming an internal consumer of node and that affecting the way they operate with node. So I think that's great news and that's worked great for us. I would add to that, you know, on the on the point with the Simber majors is even, even the changes that were made and just using the buffer APIs as an example, uh, it, it is a major change, but it was made with backwards compatibility in mind. So even though, you know, we're, you know, we've deprecated the old buffer constructor, for instance, you can still use it if your code uses that constructor, it'll still continue to work. So, yeah, as Rod was saying, in terms of you know being fairly conservative, even when we do need to introduce a breaking change, we are still keeping that backwards compatibility in mind. And I think that you know with the the, the current processes, I think that just becomes more front and center. So I think it, uh, it really allows us to make those changes, those necessary changes, but you know still preserve the existing code base. So I think it's a good thing. And that's sort of. Preserving the backwards compatibility has been a long-time guiding principle of the project, has it not? It, it's been a strong thing. It's not something where it's not like where we we're not like the JavaScript language spec, for instance, where maintaining that strong backward compatibility is a core value and and it, that's never broken. But it's been a strong thing that that Node Core is really a servant to the Node ecosystem, and there's a massive number of packages out there that build on Node. And Node Core would be stupid to step on too many toes there. So Core is being led by its ecosystem, and we're trying to do the best by the users out there. Yeah, I mean, there's you know there's a a couple of examples or changes here that I mean where we we put the priority on performance versus backwards compatibility. One example is the FS real path change was made. Previously, RealPath, you know, Node had its own implementation, but LibUV had, had an implementation that really relied on the operating system for their RealPath implementation. And we actually changed that in 6 so that we are now using LibUV's implementation. It does introduce a number of changes. The signature for the method, for instance, has changed. And the method will now throw new errors that it didn't throw before. It ended up breaking a couple of modules out there that were actually depending on the fact that RealPath did not throw those errors. So, I mean, it, it's there are a, a few examples like that in six, but for the most part, the the backwards compatibility has been the priority when it needs to be. We're going to be right back after this word from one of our fabulous sponsors. And yet, we're very inspired by the dreamers, but for certain people. The skills necessary to do portions of their app or product development dream don't come naturally, or at all. And that's where we can come in and help out. We've got folks specializing in design, ops, architecture, security, web, mobile, front-end, back-end, admin, project management, you name it. We are builders of things. It doesn't matter where at in the process. We make things for technologists, and we're very good at building things for others. We've loved helping build apps and tools with folks at AT&T, the Creative Artists Agency, the Flatiron School, and Major League Soccer, to name a few. Reach out at contact at andyet.com 
or visit us at andyet.com for more info or just to say hi. From dream to deploy, we're here to help. And yet, the kind and efficient sort of perfectionists. Welcome back to Node Up. We talked in the last segment about how upgrading to Node V6 should go as smooth as a baby's bottom. But the truth is that with any major release, not everything is going to go right. And there certainly will be some intentional breaking changes and in all likelihood, the occasional unintentional breaking change here or there. Let's start with the real path slash NPM thing that James alluded to at the end of the last segment. I believe Anna has something she'd like to add about that. Yeah, like just something people should be aware of. There is a race condition in NPM Publish that has been around for years. And it got worse because RealPath is now so much faster that it actually appears more often. It happens when you publish your package to NPM using version 6. There just be may, may be missing files in the uploaded package. It might be a good idea to make sure your index.js is still there and everything after publishing. So I've seen I've seen the bug report for that. That's something that will have to be fixed in NPM, right? Yeah, definitely. It's a bug in NPM. Even Lucas already has a fix for that, I believe. And it should be in the next one or two NPM releases, I think. Anything anybody else wants to add to that? Yeah, that that, that one <laughs> that particular one is a fun one. The other interesting aspect with the real path change is that apparently Different operating systems, you know, um, OS X, Linux, will actually th- throw at different sim length depth levels. We'll throw an uh, exception when you're using RealPath. OS X will actually, you know, throw at a different depth than Linux. That when you're using the new LibUV RealPath, you'll start getting those exceptions now. Before you would not get those exceptions. So if you're using Glob. This is a particular issue. If you use the glob module and do, uh, you know, glob star star and tell it to use real path, you'll actually start getting some very weird errors start to occur. <laughs> and that was kind of a fun one that we, we were tracking down last week. It's, it's relatively straightforward. I believe the fix is already in for that. But uh, anyone that's using glob may want to uh, upgrade. And that was also related to the real path stuff? Mm-hmm. Directly related to the real path, uh, it's the fact that real path now throws errors when before it did not. So I see. Do we also want to talk about the module sim links thing? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this one's eaten up way too much of my time over the past week. So I'll just you know I'll just go right into this one. So the module sim link thing. It, it, before version six, if you had peer dependencies. So one module that requires another module that's not directly in its node module's uh, directory, so it's a peer. If one of those, either the peer or the original module, is a symlink, then you'll get an error because it's not able to actually find that, that peer module. It has to do with the way that the modules are, are, are cached and the way that the, the, the modules are discovered on disk. So we had a PR come in that sought to address that problem. You know, and, and when we got the PR, it ran through CI, no problem. It went through our ecosystem testing with the Canary in the Goldmine tool, no problem. Went through some reviews, and we're like, okay, it is, you know, we're going to go ahead and conservatively label this as major. Everything looked fine. 
landed it, delivered it in V6, and suddenly we started getting these reports of things breaking. And looking back on it, it's like, yep, it makes sense why that's why that stuff is breaking. Some things like some breakage in native modules that also happen to be symlinked. It's all, all the breakages have to do with things that are symlinked. So it's like, okay, we're we're probably going to end up having to revert that to get things back to where they were and take another run at solving this this problem with the symlinked peer dependencies. And unfortunately, it, it it's it's not a trivial problem because in order to actually address the symlinked peer dependency problem, we, we will have to make some kind of breaking change in here. So it's just they're trying to figure out a way of, of doing it that introduces the least amount of breakage and pre, you know and, and gets us to a point where you know we're not ticking somebody off. <laughs> That's been the fun challenge on this one. Hey, how did we get through part one of the show without talking more about the world of ES6 awesomeness that this version of Node brings us? Because we yeah. are so focused on core that you know the stuff that happens in V8 uh, sort of happens on the outside, but it's kind of the reverse to for most users is that the stuff that happens in V8 it tends to be the most interesting these days. I know a lot of people are excited about the big jump we've made from up to V8 version 5.0. Is it 93 93 yes, yes, six support without command line flags, and if you use command line flags, you can get up to, what is it, 95%? I think it's 96. Yeah. 96, yeah. So the V8 team have been doing a lot of work on that front, trying to catch up to IE particularly, I think. The other thing about the V8 upgrade is that they've actually been doing some performance work on some ES6 stuff, so there's been a little bit of a performance boost in there too, which is nice. Oh, it's, it's yeah, I'm not sure if it's a, if you can classify it as a little bit. I mean, the, I think, um, Module loading and and just kind of not not necessarily module loading, but the just just overall runtime performance of V8 has been a significant boost over what we saw in V4. All of the benchmarks across the board have seen a significant boost. So there's a there's a website that contains nightly benchmarks for various versions of Node, and you can get a feel for just how much of an improvement Node six is over previous versions and in what areas, and that will be in the show notes. The most significant bumps came in right when we landed uh, the new V8. If you look at those charts and looks at the dates, I mean, it, it pretty much lines up with the night that we landed V8. And if you've been waiting for destructuring, it's it's here. So there you go. I would caution on that. Benchmarking on destructuring has not been too great yet. It's there. It's usable. It does have a noticeable performance impact. If you have non-hot path code that where performance <laughs> is not critical... <laughs> And you want the, lu- <laughs> the luxury of destructuring assignments, it's there. Now, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of great ES6 stuff there. And I think if you, uh, the other thing we should in- make sure we include in the show notes is node.green, I think it is. Yes, which will tell you all the things that are in node v6 and a couple of things that aren't and the handful of things that are there behind a flag. So node.green, I would definitely check that out. Shout out to William Kapke for node.green. He's been putting some good work into that. That's a great site to use for reference on what node supports. Yeah, he's probably someone we should add to the list of people that should be invited on this show sometime. Yeah, he'd be a fantastic guest, I believe. 
So is there anything we broke on purpose that we want to talk about? Like, I know my own Semper major change is super boring and unlikely to affect anyone in the real world. But do we have anything that we changed on purpose that we might want to mention to people on the show? As Rod said, it's pretty boring. So <laughs> we have the buffer API changes. I mean, that was purposeful, but it's, it's not, it doesn't break backwards uh, compatibility in any way. Have we covered uh, that on Know That Before? No, I don't know. I haven't seen no. it. No. Maybe, no, maybe you should give us a rundown on that because it's that's probably one of the biggest changes, although it does impact previous versions of Node as well since it was backported, but that might be worth covering, James. Yeah, we backported it to 5. We haven't done it, even backported any of it to version 4 yet. So, But this is about making the buffer API, making it less likely that someone will fail to fill the buffer and not yeah. realize it. So so we've deprecated new buffer in favor of things like buffer from... The, James, you should really talk about this since you did all the work, right? With the buffer API, we did have some usability issues that really started to present themselves as security issues with the buffer API. For instance, if you do a new buffer and pass in a number... It's always been this way, and it's been documented this way for a while, but what Buffer will, will create is a new instance with uninitialized data. And really, to be useful, you need to go through and, and make sure that you initialize that data either by completely writing over it or calling you know, the fill method and, and, and overwriting that, that allocated memory. Unfortunately, we had some instances where people were failing to do that, and it ended up leading to some security vulnerabilities in their in their modules and in their in their applications. So, you know, we had a discussion about this in Core, and we, you know, I, I know a few of us were, were were somewhat reluctant to actually make the changes, but we introduced some new constructor methods and and decided to deprecate the new buffer constructor. So now we have things like buffer dot from for creating a buffer from a string or an array. We have buffer dot alloc which allocates uh, initialized memory. And we have buffer alloc unsafe, which allocates uninitialized memory. And really what these, you know, the whole purpose of these new constructors is really to make it easier to write sound code or secure code, you know, using the buffer API. And really make it where, you know, you know for sure what it is you are allocating. It's not a huge change, the fact you know the deprecation itself is docs only, which means if you're you know if you have code that's using the new buffer constructor, it'll continue to work as it has done before. You're not going to get any runtime warnings or anything like that. But you, you know it is strongly recommended to to move to the new, new versions. And when you say the new buffer constructor, you mean the old buffer constructor? Yeah, the old buffer <laughs> constructor. It's the new keyword, new keyword right, buffer. Right. Yeah. Right. So. No, I, you know, I was I was confused momentarily, and then I realized, <laughs> oh right, new buffer is the old way to make a new buffer. Never yeah. mind. Okay, with that, I think maybe we ought to hear from another one of our sponsors. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your application off the ground quickly, and the easiest to scale when you find success. Start with the pre-configured Node.js one-click to get up and running in 55 seconds, or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSDs in state-of-the-art data centers around the world. Scale your infrastructure using advanced features like floating IPs for high availability, private networking, and API access for automated deployments. 
DigitalOcean is the fastest growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers. And Laser focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Visit DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code NOTEUP on the billing page for a $10 credit to get started today. All right, welcome back to NoteUp, and we need to talk about error messages. Yeah, error messages are fun. For for a while now, we've we we've ended up having to treat error message changes to error messages. I mean, even even changing punctuation at an error message as a semver major change, and it's actually quite irritating. <laughs> That's because there's existing code out there that will parse the error message or will you know compare the value of the error message, and if it doesn't match identically, then you've broken their code. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we, the, we, the, longer a, the longer a platform like Node is around, the more expansive we have to consider the API to take into account things like output and you know command line stuff. Like it's not when, when you're starting up a new platform, you can be really limited, but you know, error messages. People parse them. People do all sorts of crazy stuff. So, yeah, we've we've had to we've had all these great changes to error messages backed up for the past six months. They've been sitting in the master branch, and now we've finally got them out. I'm happy to get them out personally because it makes cherry picking a lot easier. That's been really difficult. The error message changes are just so they're everywhere. But I think it's great to get these out. But maybe James, you can explain what the the basics of the changes are. The changes themselves, I mean, are, are really, you know, thing, you know, just clarity of the error message. You know, the, a lot of the messages before were just rather terse or like we had one, like, two string failed. You know, it's like, okay, that doesn't really help us too much. You know, and anybody debugging doesn't really, you know, help, help them figure out what's actually going on. So a lot of those changes have just been on adding additional detail or just clarifying what the condition was that led to the error. And, and as Rod said, I mean, they're, they're great changes to have out there. But like I said, we, we, we had several incidents now where code broke because those errors were changed. I know there is one example in, in Express where they were mimicking our errors that we were throwing. And now all of a sudden, you know, the message that we're throwing in that particular spot is different. And there's some changes that they're, that they're having to make over in Express to, to, to catch up with that. One of the things that I'm looking at, and one of the major things I'm hoping to get done for, for version 7, is to actually introduce a stable error code to most of our messages, or to most of our errors, that allows us to get away from this, having to treat error message changes as some of our major, because the, that code will never change, even though the message does. Hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get to a point where this, is, this becomes a lot easier, but I think we've got a bit of a long road out of us. The big win for me on the error messages is simply consistency. We had, I, th I can't remember the person's name who did the initial commit, but going across all of the error messages in core and making them grammatically consistent, you know, even things like capitalization and commas, that consistently, consistency is so good now. Before it was really kind of ad hoc. So kudos to the people that have been involved in that. I suspect, Rich, you've been involved in that as well, being one of our grammar experts. If it involves placement of comma in, commas in a string, I probably had an opinion, yeah. Are there any lessons learned from this release? I know at the time of this recording, it's, it's a bit premature to talk about it, but let's talk about it anyway. What might we do differently next time based on what we've learned this release? Or if you want the easier version of the question, it's what will we definitely do the same because it went so well? 
One thing to became painfully obvious after V6 went out is we do not have enough module tests. <laughs> right now we are guaranteeing behavior that we do not test ourselves with a module loader module. And so we just need to make sure that any of the things that we consider are absolutely frozen have better test coverage. So that you know when changes do come in for bug fixes, that those things are are those possible regressions are, are caught. And then I would just say more ecosystem testing. The Canary and the Goldmine tool has been invaluable with this release. It actually helped us catch a number of regressions before V6 went out and work on, on, on fixing those. I think the next time we need to be relying on it more and earlier. What about things that we did really well this time that the project will definitely be repeating? So I, I reckon that this release is a is partly a vindication of the the release plan that we set up, and we did get, receive a lot of criticism about doing time based Semver major releases that you know this shouldn't be time based or whatever. But I, I think that the way that Node four, five, and six have gone has is really proven the release plan that we we mapped out and have been executing against. The stability of Node Core now is, is just fantastic. As a user, I love that. And I, I think the predictability and just the, the you know the, the sense of assurance in, in core that people have from this process has been really valuable. So I'm you know, I'm excited about that and I and I think that we can only do better. It's been great so far. Uh, I don't think I have been around for much of the discussion around that, but I definitely have that feeling too. Like, it's a good thing to do this half year schedule. The management overhead is a little bit much. You know, we have to having to hold back Simfer Major and cherry pick around them is is something that we've had to adapt to. But I think we've even managed to come up with some pretty good GitHub processes to deal with this. Good tooling. We've got good branching strategies. We're improving on those things already, but. It's it's you know it's been working well. And it's it's something that I think that we're going to continue having improvements on. You know you know there's there's a discussion you know like for the LTS branches that we use uh, the long term support branches, we use a staging branch. We don't just land everything in the release branches automatically. It's kind of helped process of getting those LTS releases out. There's a discussion right now of whether we should adopt the same strategy for the current. V6 branch, and I think there's some things like that in terms of, of what our processes are that are going to continue to evolve, you know, even over the next over the next year as we learn some lessons. So I think having the opportunity to continue the course we've been on is, is really the, the key thing that's gone right. We're really getting this process going right now. So. I was going to ask you, Rich, what about from your perspective? Because I know you, you've been doing, particularly towards the end of, of V5, the, this period, you've been doing a whole lot of work in testing. What do you see as the future in, the, in that field of, for Node? Where, where are we heading there? I do not know. There's been a couple of people who've come aboard the project that have been doing a lot of work in testing that have made it so that I don't do as much because they find and fix problems before I'm even aware that there's a problem. I definitely have some ideas about ways we can improve our te testing. I know, you know James mentioned more test coverage. We don't really have different types of tests necessarily, meaning, like, meaning we don't really have unit tests versus 
you know, integration tests versus end-to-end testing. And doing some of that work might be really helpful. Right now, we just have like a big bucket of tests and you just throw a test in there and it runs with all the other tests. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but only a bit of one. But I'm kind of rambling at this point. I don't know what the future holds. I have to sort of actually talk with other people about that. The testing working group has put together a draft roadmap, but it's really, really in, in an embryonic state right now. It, it doesn't have any dates or anything like that. It doesn't. Half the things aren't even ordered. It's more just a list of these are things that would be really great improvements. So look for look for that. And if anyone listening is really into testing, you might want to check out the Node.js testing working group, which I believe, well, we'll just, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I don't want to hijack your show, Rich, but I have a similar question for Anna, for Anna about Zlib or Zlib, however you want to pronounce it. It's been great to see you pick up some responsibility around that because it's been one of the more neglected parts of Node Core. Now I'm wondering if you could tell us about what a bit about what you've been doing in there and what you see needs to be done in that area. So, like, there's been a bit of change in behavior in Zlib in v5 in the later versions, like 5.9, 5.10, and so that was mostly about GZIP files that you find very rarely in the wild, but they occur. Like, GZIP has this nice feature where you can just concatenate two gzipped files and when you decompress them you should ideally get the concatenated output and Node.js did not support that before and now it does there hasn't been much else changed there I think just the errors thrown when there are trailing garbage bytes at the end of a stream or something I'm not sure there's much that needs to be done in the future like I think there could be something simplified in the code, but definitely nothing urgent. Cool. It's just nice to have the assurance that somebody actually cares about that part of Node. So thanks very much for that. Yeah, sure. And thank you, guest host Rod, for picking up when I dropped the ball badly. Last episode, D. Shaw stepped in to make sure I didn't let things fall through the cracks. This time it's Rod. I just know yeah. how early it is for you, Rich. It's, it's really early for you when you're struggling to wake up. <laughs> that's that's my excuse, but the truth is that uh, I'm always this disorganized. But this is why it's always good to have one of the guests be someone who also sometimes hosts the show. Let's uh, let's get personal for a minute and talk about our favorite things in this release. It doesn't have to be something anyone else has any reason to care about, although of course it can be. Anna, do you want to pick something that as you want to highlight in this release? Sure. My favorite thing is probably the the ES6 support. The 93%, it's really awesome to be able to use all of that and like not care so much about writing code that's compatible with really old versions of Node because they are slowly fading out. And other than that, yeah, it's the first release that has code from me in it. And of course, that's pretty awesome for me. <laughs> and thank you for that. James, what do you want to highlight in this release? I, I want to highlight the fact that I mean we we have uh, here now, I and mean, you know, I, I updated the author's file right before cutting the the v six release, and it looks like we added just over a hundred new contributors to to Node in just the past four months, which is just absolutely fantastic in my mind. So I, I am ecstatic to have Anna and everyone else 
here now as contributors. It's it's a fantastic thing. Rod, it's your turn. What is the one thing you love most about this release? Oh, I've already covered it. It's the it's the V8 and compiling native add-ons story. It's the first time ever for for a major mode release that we that that you won't have to get your native add-on authors to update their code. In the past, for major releases, you've had to go around and ping everyone who who writes a native add-on and get them to change you know little bits of code. Sometimes major bits of code. This time you just need to recompile. That's it. As long as you're using a recent version of NAN. And so shout out to the, the NAN folks, particularly Benjamin Byholm, who's still been doing most of that work there. Shout out too to the V8 team who have heard our cries about all of the C++ changes they've inf- been inflicting on us. Just settled right down for this release. They may pick it up again. I know they've got things that they're trying to achieve there. So it, it may change for the next release, but hopefully we can uh, patch over some of that with, with NAN. So that's my favorite thing about this release. My favorite thing is destructuring. Not because I care about destructuring, but because every time I bring it up, I get cautioned about performance. And it's a pretty sweet reminder that people really care about performance. I don't, but everyone else does. No, just, just kidding. I actually care about performance, but I'm going to stop talking now. It's time for plugs. Anna, what would you like to plug? I tried really hard to come up with something for that, but I guess I'm just sticking with get involved in Notecar. It's not that hard. I know it's scary in the beginning, but there are a lot of good first contributions. Some are tagged as good first contribution in the issue tracker and get going. My plug is going to be I would like to plug Anna's plug because that's great. James, do you have a plug? Hi, you know, I struggled on uh, coming up with this. For me, it goes back to, you know, just like Anna was saying, get involved with Node Core. You know, it's, it's, it's easier than ever to jump in. There's some fantastic work that's, uh, that's being done. We've had some very high-quality contributions in the past, you know, few releases, and we, I really want to see that continue, so. Some boring plugs, folks. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much better, though. But I'm going to plug CampJS. It's coming up June the 3rd to 5th. It's the first time that CampJS has been in my home state of New South Wales. So it's going to be near Sydney. So not in Sydney, but nearby in a really nice location that has been used for some other coding camp things. So you should check out CampJS.com and think about coming over to Australia for that because it's a great nerd weekend where we get out and hack together. And you don't have to actually camp. There's very little camping that goes on, so don't be too off-put by that name. The other plug I wanted to give is for the OpenSSL team. And whenever we have these OpenSSL releases, you get the inevitable complaining on the internet about how terrible OpenSSL is and how everyone should be using the, the forks of OpenSSL. I recently spent some time with some of the OpenSSL team members learning about what's happened since the big investment that the core infrastructure initiative from the Linux Foundation has been investing in them. They're really doing some good work there and the code quality is improving dramatically. Their processes have really settled down and we get much more predictable release cycles. And, you know, I think that project actually has a good future as as much as people might think that goes against conventional wisdom. But I'm pretty confident with the OpenSSL project. So yay for them. And thanks for all the good work that they do. That's my plug. I'd like to plug 5.30 a.m. It gets a bad rap, but it isn't so bad, really. 
I want to thank our guests today in alphabetical order, Anna Henningsen. It was a pleasure. James Snell. Uh, fun as always. Rod Bag. And thank you, Rich. I'm your host, Rich. Trot. Jordan Muir is recording, editing, and producing. One day I will make his job slightly less aggravating by hooking up my SM57 microphone to my computer instead of using my earbud mic. So be on the lookout for Note Up episode 103, a Rich Hooks Up His SM57 show. Haley Knox did the heroic task of scheduling us across four time zones that do not work well together. She somehow warped time and space sufficiently that we could all be here talking at once. So mad props to Haley. Some upcoming events. If you're listening to this podcast and it is not 2016, you may want to just skip the next 45 seconds. NodeConf London will be on May 11th. The link to that event and all the subsequent events is in the show notes. Enterprise JS will be in Austin on May 17th. Empire JS in New York City on May 26th and 27th. As Rod mentioned, Camp JS in Sydney, Australia, or maybe it's outside Sydney, Australia. I'm not sure. Near Sydney, Australia, if not in Sydney, Australia. June 3rd through 5th. NodeConf Oslo in Norway, June 4th. NodeConf Adventure in Northern California on June 9th. Dinosaur JS in Denver, Colorado on June 24th. Cascadia Fest in Washington State, August 2nd through 5th. OS and Feels, Open Source and Feels, July 22nd and 23rd in Seattle. JSConf Iceland in Reykjavik, August 25th and 26th. Node Interactive EU in Amsterdam. That will be on September 15th and 16th. And Node Interactive North America will be in Austin, Texas on November 29th and 30th. Follow NodeUp on Twitter. Sponsor NodeUp. Email NodeUp at gmail.com for more info. Thanks again to all our guests. Join us next time. Bye.